Welcome to Hymn Stories, a podcast about how our songs of the faith came to be and how they've encouraged, comforted, and strengthened believers like you and me. Hymn Stories is a part of the Media Gratier Podcast Network. My name is Ryan Bush. Edith Adeline Gilling Cherry was born in the United Kingdom in 1872. When she was just 16 months old, she was disabled from polio. She had to walk on crutches the rest of her life. When Edith was six years old, her little sister, who was four, passed away. This devastated her. Edith had a gift for poetry, and before she reached the age of 15, had written volumes. When she was 23 years old, after having rested upon her crutches for all of those years, she took up her pen and wrote to him. It starts like this. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. In early January 1955, five men sat on the Curarai River in Ecuador. They had landed a small plane on a sandy beach there. They hoped that they could soon make contact with the Alca, a tribe that was unreached and extremely hostile to outsiders. This story is well known to many people all over the world. Let me read Elizabeth Elliot's account to you. Elizabeth was the husband of Jim Elliot. He was on the beach that day. She writes, When the plane circled one day, the Alcas heard one of the men call, We are on the Kurarai. Come, come and see us. This was too much for some of them. Still torn by doubts and long-held fears of these white men, they hesitated two days, possibly spying out the situation from the thick growth of the jungle into which they know how to vanish as effectively as the dappled ocelot of their forest. But on the third day, their curiosity, or who can say what motives, overcame their fears, and, answering the calls of the five men who strode up and down the beach, three young Indians made their appearance. Who were these white men? Brothers of the monkey that swung in the vines, with their hairy faces and arms? Brothers of the armadillo who wears what must be an uncomfortable covering and never walks naked? Sons, perhaps, of the sunmaker, since they came from the skies, the white men were constantly making strange marks with a black-tipped stick on a smooth white leaf. Then they would look hard at those marks and speak the words the Indians had spoken. But to one another they made weird sounds. Not words, surely. Yes, they must be words. They seemed to understand one another, to be talking. But it was not hearable. And why did they not answer the Indians when they spoke to them? 
Late in the afternoon, a young girl decided it was time to leave these strange people who seemed to have no desire for her. She ran down the sand strip. George called after her, but no, she was resolute. At last, as she disappeared into the forest, he followed. Later, the older woman joined them, and they raced over the steep hills and through the mud to their village, breathless to tell of their experiences. But there were old matted heads of black hair back in the shadows which silently shook as they heard the tale. Between those cylinders of balsa stuck in their earlobes, dark plans were taking shape. Back on the beach at the Kururai, the five men waited eagerly the next day for the return of their friends. Pacing the beach as before, they shouted the few phrases they had learned of the Alka language, phrases elicited from an escaped member of the tribe who lived on a hacienda near one of the mission stations. But their calls were answered only by the stillness of the jungle on both sides of the winding river. Once a tree fell, alerting them all to tense expectancy, but nothing happened. Finally, Jim Elliott looked at his watch. Okay, boys, I give them five minutes. If they don't show up, I'm going over. Wisdom prevented his carrying out this threat, but the long afternoon brought no reward for their vigil. The neighbors were apparently in conference. Should they return and invite the white men to their village? Who should go? They could not know with what eagerness and longing they were awaited. Sunday morning dawned clear. Again, God had answered prayer. The river had not risen to obliterate the little landing strip, and the skies were good for flying. Nate, the pilot, took off. After circling the Indian village, he spotted about ten alcas making their way along the beach in the direction of the four foreigners. This is it, guys, he shouted as the piper bounced onto the beach. They're on their way. Nate's wife was informed by radio of the expected contact and was asked to stand by again at 4.30 p.m. Lunch over, the men busied themselves fixing up a miniature jungle and model house in the sand with the intention of demonstrating to the savages how to build an airstrip should they be interested enough to want the white men to come and live among them. Then the five missionaries sang together, as they had done so often, spontaneously and joyously. We rest on thee our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. Committing themselves and all their carefully laid plans to him who had so unmistakably brought them thus far, they waited for the Alcas. Before 4.30 that afternoon, the quiet waters of the Kururai flowed over the bodies of the five comrades, slain by the men they had come to win for Christ, whose banner they had borne. The world called it a nightmare of tragedy. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause of Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Shield and
Thank you for joining me in this episode of Hymn Stories. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you sing and make melody in your heart to Him. Excerpted from Shadow of the Almighty, The Life and Testament of Jim Elliot by Elizabeth Elliot.